Welcome to the New Books Network. For four days we have been drifting, Miss O'Shea. The needle of the compass no longer points to the magnetic pole. It points, if I may say so, to your ankles. Oh, come now, Admiral. A bunch of grown men. They've seen a pair of ankles before. Not for nine years. Except for the singularly uninspiring underpinnings of Miss Bragg. Now, <clears throat> my colleagues... If you think I'm bothering them, I'll sit on my legs. And I'll do it in my room or in the kitchen. Too late. You must leave, Miss O'Shea. Well, I can't leave now. How about that slang? It's not finished yet. What? There's a lot of words we haven't caught up with. For instance, do you know what this means? I'll get you on the Amici. No. Of course you don't. And Amici is the telephone, on account of he invented it. Oh, no, he didn't. Like, you know, in the movies. Oh, I see what you mean. They're very interesting. Make no mistake, I shall regret the absence of your keen mind. Unfortunately, it is inseparable from an extremely disturbing body. All right, I'll go. Only don't shove. I'll leave sometime tomorrow. Not tomorrow, right away. But I tell you, I've got to... I a... insist, Miss O'Shea. Oh, Crab Apple Listen, Potsy. Crab Apple Why, well, that implies that I'm puritanical and narrow-minded. Yeah. I am a perfectly normal man with perfectly normal instincts. But an awful high boiling point. Not even that. I, too, have been acutely aware of your presence. You have? Twice to be exact. Once when you leaned over my shoulder to correct my spelling of the word boogie-woogie, I could feel your breath on my ear. And yesterday afternoon, when you happened to stand against the window with the sunlight in your hair. What'd you do about it? I, I left the room. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. The way this podcast works, if you're new to it, is that Mike and I watch movies separately, but we don't really talk about them. We might text each other, great movie, I'm not sure. We don't talk about them until we get to the podcast. And the fun of it is that we try to recreate those conversations you have at the diner after you go to the movies or after you after you got done watching one at home. Today, we're doing what movie, Mike? Ball of Fire with Barbara Stanwyck. Ball of Fire, 1941, directed by Howard Hawks, with a screenplay by Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett and Thomas Monroe. And of course, Charles Brackett and Billy Wilder co-wrote Sunset Boulevard, which we just did a few weeks ago. Greg Toland, who's lit a million great movies, including Citizen Kane, lit it. And this was a Mike pick. In part one, we always like to talk about our overall take on the movie. Now, of course, when you pick the movie, the other guy goes first. So I'm going to go first. Wait, please do. I, I, I'll say one thing, which is, um, I told you that I had watched Ball of Fire and you sent me a question mark, <laughs> which I I literally almost fell out of my chair. Usually that's a figure of speech, but I did actually almost fall out of my chair. And I thought maybe I'd spelled it wrong or maybe it's Balls of Fire or something. I, but I cannot believe for as much as you love Billy Wilder and you just reviewed a book uh, about Barbara Stanwyck that you had not seen this movie. I know. I don't know what kind of cinematic rock I was living under because of. I just have to say, here's my part one take. What an unbelievable discovery this is. I mean, and plus everyone's in it. So we get we get Dan Dorea from Too Late for Tears, which I love. You get Dana Andrews from Best Years of Our Lives. We get um, Clarence the Angel and the snarky realtor from It's a Wonderful Life. You get Sasha and Carl from Casablanca. You even get the old evil Mr. Burns guy from This Gun for Hire who eats his crackers, sopped in milk, which which you love so much. You get Elijah Cook Jr. walks on as a waiter. You get Gene Krupa's band and Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought to myself the next day, I'm like, it's like Mike like casually mentioned, um, you know, Stanley Kubrick's World War II movie. And I was like, 
wait a minute, what? Like Stanley Kubrick made a World War II movie and you were like, oh yeah, yeah, it's called um, it's called uh, Patriotic Ribbons. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And you're like, well, everyone's seen Patriotic Ribbons. That's how I felt about this movie was, where has this movie been on my life? Because it's everything we like. It's everything we like about movies, about why we have the podcast and acting. And we'll talk about the movie itself in a minute. But I just got to say, it's so, isn't it great when that happens? When somebody turns you onto a movie and you're like, this was so good. No, it's um you you just lived out everybody's dream, which is <laughs> I I wish I could I wish I could go deeply in a subject and know everything about it, but then get one of the one of those beautiful things you're supposed to get that's that you know that that requires no sophistication. You like you know how people want to neuralize themselves and listen to Pink Floyd for the first time? It's as though you like had grown up on this movie, learned to love this movie, neuralized yourself, and then watched it for the first time. I thought you were gonna say the fantasy is that you tell somebody to watch a movie and then within a couple of days they watch it and then they tell you how great it was. Like that's that's the true movie lover's fantasy, right? That happens to us all the time with, with one another. Uh not to mention that Tully Marshall is in this movie, who is the voice um for for those of you who uh, watched Alice in Wonderland, the Disney movie, he's the voice of the caterpillar. But the beautiful thing is that that's actually his voice. Like yeah. you, you would think that that's somebody doing the voice of the caterpillar. That's just how he talks. So let's talk about Tully Marshall and the, and the other people there. What I love about this movie is that they are eggheads, but they're removed from life. They're like funny eggheads. They're eccentric eggheads, right? They're not like, if you had this movie with intellectuals today, they'd be worrying for good or ill about social justice and capitalism or something. These people are, are consumed by what they define as knowledge, right? The kinds of plants, the dates in history, um, new words and stuff. And they, wanna, they want to... They want to know everything that could be quantified and cataloged and collected in print. But of course, you can't do that for, for love. And, and they run into uh, Alan Jenkins, the garbage man, who tells them about hoi toy toy. I love the garbage man. And of course, you know, this movie was modeled after, and I thought this as I watched it, and then I read about it a little bit afterwards. This movie was modeled on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, as you probably know. Do you remember what Barbara Stanwyck repeatedly calls the professors? She calls them kids. She's like, hey, kids are like kids. And they are like kids, right? Like their morning walk, their constitutional is like a field trip. They're all afraid of Miss Bragg, which is like, somebody has stolen the jam. And he steals gonna, the jam, yeah. Who's going to fess up for it, right? Um, a pretty girl enters the room and what do they do? The first time she enters the room, what do they all do? They all run away. <laughs> they all hide. Like there's a pretty girl in the room, right? Um, I love how one of them buys his spats. One of them buys the new records. They tickle the gangsters' henchmen. They're they're like they're like the little they're like Kevin in Home Alone. Even with the way they get the, the remember they have the um he has the microscope or the telescope and he burns the rope. That's like a Home Alone kind of thing. And I just love how they're like they're like very very likable charming children that she wins over because she wins us, us over too. Uh, although to steal a bonus moment, I love when they they try to diagram the cha cha. I love uh, that, but but they don't they don't understand it. But somehow Barbara Stanwyck understands it intuitively, right? So it's right. What what is one? What is the thing maybe the most that I could describe to you all day and diagram it, but you couldn't get unless you could just get it. It's the cha cha. Yeah, it's the cha-cha. It's dancing. It's all those kinds. Of, you can read all the like. That's why when Gary Cooper is reading the manual on how to be a boxer, he's like reading that book about boxing, and then he gets his boxing stance. It's ridiculous. It's it's like in um in the Bells of St. Mary. You just reminded me, Ingrid Bergman is using is trying to teach a kid how to fight, and then she gets a book called The Manly Art of Boxing. But you know, she's really really funny in this. I mean, Barbara Stanwyck is like from a whole different movie in this, isn't she? It's like she they dropped her in this movie like the Google guy on Google Maps, and then she just runs around. 
the the night after I rewatched a ball fire with my wife, we rewatched John Carpenter's The Thing. And it struck me that um yeah, a group of guys living in isolation um while an alien in, invades and then slowly takes over each one of their personalities. I was like, that this is the thing, but instead of the alien, it's Barbara Stanwyck. Welcome back in part two. We always do our favorite scenes or key moments. Dan, why don't you kick it off? So my moment is when Gary Cooper asks, is corn synonymous with bologna? Now, as you remember, <laughs> everyone has a different specialty. What is Gary Cooper's specialty in the movie? Language and literature. Language and literature, right? So he's written this 32 or 38 page essay on slang. And it's great that he's studying slang. And I kept thinking about this the next day, how perfect it is, right? Because there's a correct way to speak. But then there's the way that people actually speak. Gary Cooper keeps telling Miss Bragg that she should not split her infinitives. He's a rule follower. There is a way you should speak. But then he meets the garbage man, right? And this whole world opens up to him. And he goes out and starts following people around or writing down things in his notebook. You know, the great thing about slang is that it's a living language. Like it's alive. It, it comes and goes. The things that my kids say now, we don't necessarily understand, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's spoken by real people, which is why he's got to go to a pool hall and a bar and, you know, a dance hall and a train to, to get these samples. And he's been stiff and he's been, you know, emotionally cold and dead in a way, like the language he speaks. He, he just like, these are our rules. In the first scene of the movie, it just occurred to me, they want to do another lap around the park. And, and Gary Cooper says, no, we have to go inside. We have to keep working. So he's this big rule follower which is so funny because he's the professor of literature, which is all about exploding language and doing wonderful things with it. And then he gets into a situation for which regular words don't apply. And he tries to use words for it, but he can't do it. You can't use a, a, a diagram on the rug to learn how to do the cha-cha. And you can't use language to articulate what happens when you see the sun in that girl's hair, which is exactly what he tries to do. And I think that it's kind of, what's cool about the movie is that she kind of teaches them how to talk and she kind of teaches them all how to talk and all how to live and come out of their shells. That's why, of course, she makes that noise, which is even beyond language. You notice that noise she makes in the movie? She keeps going. And that's what they all do at the end. Like, so that's, that's also a piece of slang, whatever means. Now, if I asked you, what does mean? What does it mean? When Barbara Stanwyck does that, right? It's always like, gotcha or something. It's something like something cute. It means, you know what I mean? Like, like but you can't really write down what that means. But they all kind of get what it means, which is why the professors do it at the end. And I think that's that's that it's so great that he's trying to diagram what can't be diagrammed, and the movie is him learning that. I, I like I like the part where um they're they've all they're all lifelong bachelors. They have no experience of women except for uh uh Professor Robinson, played by Tully Marshall, the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland, who was he was briefly married and um his his wife is dead. And so all he has is these youthful memories of what it was like to be in love and he remembers that there was a song that they used to sing one of the guys starts to hum it and then they all start to sing it and i think uh i think that this movie would be interesting if it were just about knowledge in terms of fact and then intuitive knowledge but it explores another kind of knowledge in the song which is generational knowledge because all the guys are of a certain age and they remember the song from their youth and they all start to sing it together which is something even that um that Gary Cooper's character doesn't know cuz he he's left the table but he's too, he's too young to know to know what they're what they mean right because they they have a similar experience 
of the world. And I, I think that um, not only is that a beautiful scene and just as choreographed as, you know, hi ho from, uh, you know, from the actual uh, the Snow White movie, um, but all the, all the dwarves singing together is, is great, but it gets, it gets into other kinds of knowledge and desirability because one of the things that interests me is Dana Andrews as Joe Lilac, the gangster, you know, who's, who's tough. He beats up on his henchmen. He always knows what to say. Um, he gets patted down by the cops and has very typical Billy Wilder dialogue with the cops that are trying to catch him. You know, he makes wisecracks to the DA. You know, he he tells um he tells Barbara Stanwyck exactly what she's going to do, where she's going to meet him, and he see he seems in charge of the in charge of the whole thing. Um, but there is something deeply cold about him, um, and maybe even overly calculated. He's so slick that like that reality or actually actual experience seems to slide off of him, and you know the 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 aptly but cutely named professor potts the the thing that wins barbara stanwick that wins um uh, sugar puss o'shea over is that he is potty about her he's crazy about her and that's actually what she really wants and so right dana andrews uh his his character joe lilac is is like if you took the slick gangster if you if you said well i want like humphrey bogart that looked like dana andrews they give you a character like that but he doesn't win the girl because he's not able to connect in the way that you that way that you can't put on paper. So it's not just like street language and book smart. It's intuitive knowledge, generational knowledge, actual knowledge, experiential knowledge, human knowledge. And so it's it's not just one way of knowing. It's seven ways of knowing. It's like one way of knowing for each of them, but not their but not their subject. It's all the ways humans know. The great thing about what you said about Joe, Joe Lilac is that he does follow the rules. And he gives her a gigantic ring. That's how you show a woman right, that you're interested in her. But of course, she wants the smaller ring from Gary Cooper with the line from Richard III. Welcome back. So of course, in part three, we always talk about the ending or the title or the key takeaways. Let's talk about the ending. What do you make of the whole, uh, you know, that 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 fun scene at the end with the gangsters? It's great. Well, it goes right back to what you just said about about Joe Lilac and what we were saying about language is that he, he it, you know, these people, they, they have a certain kind of knowledge, but they gain intuitive knowledge, right? In the beginning of the movie, they couldn't explain what means, but at the end of the movie, we understand what that means, but we're not so far removed in their, you know, their ivory tower like they are. So everything gets traded off. They trade the, the, um, the she trades the giant ring for the meaningful ring. They trade the um, the canned wedding for a fun wedding. And they trade, of course, the wedding limo for what do they all ride on at the end? The garbage truck. And I think that's great because that, that goes with the whole theme. But again, when you're a kid, didn't you want to ride on a garbage truck? Yes. Did you ever want to ride on a garbage truck when you were a kid? Yes. Didn't that look like a lot of fun? And of course, that's what they're all having fun. They're all in the garbage truck. They're all hanging on. They're having a great time. So I think that they have a lot of fun that way. And at the end, he says, I think that the point of that whole thing about Gary Cooper coming to this intuitive knowledge that Barbara Stanwyck has in the beginning is he says, he says, gentlemen, as a grammarian, I know when words cease to be of use. And he makes her stand on the books. And then he kisses her and they all walk out and they make the tick tick sound. So they've all kind of gained this kind of, it's like they all got their PhD and had to be like a warm and fuzzy emotive human being at the end. And I think it's great. It's an unbelievable Billy Wilder type type ending. And um, I mean, I, I love all of his movies, but this is, um, this has, this has the special Wilder touch. So how would you compare this to the other endings of the movies? Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Some Like It Hot or Double Indemnity or Witness for the Prosecution. Like, what makes this a Billy Wilder ending? Because, because it, he avoids corn 
or lean or he leans into corn in a way that you find acceptable or or earns it somehow. Like at the end of Double Indemnity, when he says "I love you too" or "Closer than you think." Yeah, I, I think he does. I think he does endings the same way. Um, it, so of course, Billy Wilder loved Lubitsch, and but he loved Lubitsch for the way that he was able to get the elements of the story out. Right? How to how to world build, but with a light touch all while making the audience laugh and intriguing them. I think Billy Wilder winds down just as well as um, Lubitsch winds up. The very fact that we could just talk about the ending of Billy Wilder movies is exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's, and it's so satisfying. It, it lives on in your experience of the movie. There, there are certain movies that I like, but if you ask me what the last scene was, I couldn't remember, but Billy Wilder, you almost always remember that whatever the last shot was. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Bowl of Fire. Mike, great pick. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could also follow us where, Mike? Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next. Check out our website on the New Books Network, and we hope you'll tell us your picks as well. We enjoy watching everything. Thanks, everybody. As of this recording, you can find Ball of Fire for free on YouTube. Uh, I would watch it now uh, until the uh, humorless guys out there find out about it and take it down. So there's no excuse for not watching it. Thank you.